Hello and welcome to Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to watch the terrible turds from cinema's cesspit so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined once again by Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello. First of all, I just want to mention uh, all the support we've received on social media and the fantastic response to our first episode that we released. It is still available if you want to go back and check it out. We did talk about some kaiju films uh, from Korea, some real good uh, Godzilla knockoffs from North Korea and South Korea. So we would say go back and check that out. But today we will be talking about Clive Barker. Now, many of you may be familiar with Clive Barker for the iconic Hellraiser series, Candyman series, but everyone has to start somewhere, and Clive Barker definitely started with two quite uh, unique films that we're going to talk about today, that being Underworld and Rawhead Rex. So, first of all, we are going to start with a film called Underworld from 1985. Uh, Both of these films we're going to talk about today were directed by George Pavlou, and the screenplay was written by Clive Barker, and uh, actually did have some um, some fairly well-known actors, I suppose. Uh, actually starred Ingrid Pitt, who was famous for the Hammer Horror films in the 70s. Uh, starred a guy called Stephen Burkoff, who was in loads of Stanley Kubrick films. And also a guy called Larry Lamb, who you may know from EastEnders and Gavin and Stacey. But yes, the Underworld film we watched here. Mark, what were your first impressions of, of Underworld? Not the Kate Beckinsale film. <laughs> Very 80s. <laughs> the 80s music definitely <clears throat> stood out. Do you know who who did the music for this film? No. Is, Enlighten me. It was a band who were at the time called Freuer or Freuer. Okay. Um, but they would later go on to name their band after this film okay. and become Underworld. Very big dance a uh, group from the 90s who went on to uh, to record the music for the Trainspotting film. So probably the biggest impact that this film has had on popular yeah. culture was the band Underworld, who uh, you know, many people will probably remember from the 90s with their, their song Born Slippy. Good bit of trivia. Really, it's, um, I think, straight away in Underworld, you get the feeling that this is going to be a bit of a double meaning. It's going to be the criminal Underworld, but also some sort of horror element as well, I think was, was clear from, from the get-go. Uh, and we, we kind of start off with um, a couple of ninjas or, or people in, in balaclavas who are kind of roaming around London. I assume it's London. They don't really ever say, but everyone sort of talks like it's London and, and dresses like they're in London in the 80s. Straight away, we, we, get, we find this sort of um, house. A guy is calling at this house asking for a particular girl. Straight away, we see a house full of, of rich people up to no good. Yeah. I think people that Alan Partridge would call sex people. <laughs> um, and they're up to no good in, in this uh, brothel, I think, basically. Yeah. I didn't know whether... Well, when I first saw it, I thought they were like cultists or something. And it was obviously a brothel, <clears throat> but it was like, well... Probably goes a bit darker than this in some way or another. Well, <laughs> with a film called Underworld, you, I think you're expecting some... From Clive Barker, anyone going into it knowing Clive Barker will know there's going to be something a bit pervy. Yeah, kinky about it as a lot of his work does have that but it was pretty much such a standard rich person brothel and a high class hooker in particular called uh, Nicole who seems to be uh, one of the main characters here and even gets her own theme song if you notice that there's um, a bit of an 80s power ballad kicks in with just someone going oh, Nicole yeah. and I always like it when films have songs that are about the film clearly been specially made for one character for one character <laughs> or one one plot point 
Um, and that's what happens here. The lovely Nicole, high-class hooker. Um, unfortunately, some of these balaclava ninjas sneak into the room and, and start, um, uh, well, start making trouble, start getting a bit a bit pervy and a bit a bit rapey with her. They start feeling her up, and this calls, uh, causes Ricardo to bust in and start struggling. Now, Ricardo, uh, the character I... He was a butler, maybe, a bodyguard, a pimp. I'm not quite sure what his role was. But he was certainly called upon to defend against the balaclava ninjas. Mm. And the guy turns into some kind of, like, beast. Yeah, well, I think all the while you're wondering, well, what are... Initially, you just think they're thugs and balaclavas, but they make all these weird noises. So you're thinking it's maybe some kind of monster. And then when the hoods do get taken off, he kind of looks like a, a grandma... <laughs> like a really angry grandma or a, a, because of the hair I thought it was sort of maybe um, uh, maybe a member of Duran Duran on a kind of coke fueled rampage <laughs> through London which probably happened quite a lot in 1985 I mean very awkwardly we slam from this scene right into uh, our our Larry Lamb character doing a bit of what I would call sexy painting in his apartment the next day. And it's a very harsh cut, isn't it, from from a scene of, of peril and monsters to um to Larry Lamb doing a bit of a bit of painting by the by the riverside. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's in the middle of painting then when um some kind of gangsters turn up, some quite foppish gangsters. One of them I think was called Fluke, and the other one was just referred to as Darling by many of the characters in the yeah. film. I'm not sure why, but they turn up and basically it becomes clear that Larry Lamb is a a reformed uh, gangster who's now uh, on the straight and narrow. He just wants to paint um, to sexy saxophone music, <laughs> and he's, he doesn't want to do any more crime or or hitman jobs, whatever it was he was doing. But um, they they say, well, you have to because Nicole has been kidnapped by some some weirdos in balaclavas. Some, <laughs> some beasts have broken in and kidnapped Nicole, and and they need to take him to Mother Skill. I think that was right. I had to had to check it because they said it so many times but it's yeah, a very strange name I think it was Mother Skill so they take Larry Lamb his character's called Roy and I'll, I should really refer to him <laughs> as Roy but I like the alliteration of Larry Lamb but um, Roy gets taken to see Mother Skill on a kind of a boat boat <laughs> <laughs> kind of a boat it is a boat but on a boat and he sort of stands on the front of the boat and I, once again I'm reminded of Duran Duran uh, and like the Rio video where, where he's kind of like standing on the front so he's standing yeah. on the front of this boat in kind of like a leather jacket and rolled up sleeves trying to look hard I thought throughout this film Larry Lamb was just trying to look as hard as possible yeah. when his character is called Roy he just really wanted to be in a 80s music video yeah <laughs> I don't think yeah Larry Lamb was definitely not aware that he was in a horror film. <laughs> uh, he, he was in a gangster film and a, a hard man um, East End <laughs> crime film, and that's what he was going to stick to, really. But, um, yeah, he is taken to see um, Mother Skill. This is played by the actor Stephen Burkoff, who he actually was a Bond villain in Octopussy, and I think they must have seen that because in this film he sort of is a Bond villain as well. Mm. He's sitting in his sort of luxury office. Looks a bit like Kingpin from Spider-Man as well. He's sort of smoking a cigar. There's a lot of smoking in this film, actually. Yeah. Probably more smoking than I've seen in any film recently. I guess excessive smoking. You don't. Yeah, it was an eighties feature, wasn't it? Smoking constantly. People always had cigars. <laughs> people always had cigarettes. And yeah. this film, I did have a lot of smoking. But Mother Skill, the, the the crime boss, basically, 
he says, you know, Nicole has been kidnapped by these these weirdos, and he said they were going to put they were going to make a snuff film with her or something. They were going to cut her up and film it. I don't know where I don't know how he knows all of this. Yeah, but that was the idea, and of course, Roy is not up for it. He's he's out of the game now. He's gone straight and narrow. It is Roy's uh, love for Nicole that, that gets him involved, and he agrees to track down Nicole and Nicole's kidnappers. Mother Skiller says he has knowledge, talent, motivation. Oh, okay. Three words that he used. That's his. That's um, his uh, summation of of Roy. Yeah. Well, he he did like to paint. That's shows him kind of a sensitive, hard man there, I guess. So we do. Uh, we are taken to the brothel. Then the madame of the brothel is called Pepper Diamond, and she is played by Ingrid Pitt. She sort of gives Roy information about Nicole, but mostly she laughs at Ricardo because because he's in a neck brace. She goes, poor baby, and then starts laughing. <laughs> I felt really sorry for this guy. He was in a neck brace and still having to like pour her drinks and be like a, a butler, like a manservant. And she was, she was just constantly saying, poor baby, and like laughing her head off. There was a lot of laughing in this scene. Yeah. I, I thought, in it, straight away, I thought she was off her tits on drugs. <laughs> and then Roy asks her, was Nicole on drugs? And she says, well, everyone's on drugs, dear. <laughs> oh, okay, that uh, ex- that explains, A, why everyone's laughing their heads off, and B, why everyone's always smoking. Yeah. It's a drug town that we're, that we're in here. Mm. And there's also a, a prostitute called Bianca, as, as Roy pronounces it. Oh, yeah. Bianca, the prostitute who... who um, does offer Roy a freebie on more than one occasion because yeah. uh, because he's he's quite a hunk he's quite a hard man so she he gets offered some free you know genuine free sex from a yeah. prostitute which he turns down because he's in love with Nicole I guess mm. but um, she does point him in the direction of Doctor Savory the pronunciation of this changed from character to character <laughs> Savory Savory. <laughs> I guess savory is just savory in French, maybe. Yeah. And she says that you know, he's the one that's filling these hookers full of drugs. Um, that's probably something to do with why why she was kidnapped. Does end up in an eighties cocktail bar with the guy that was referred to as Darling earlier. And Roy has, has found along the way this what looks like a tiny bottle of milk, <laughs> which he decides is some sort of new deadly drug that is killing prostitutes or, or getting rid of, of prostitutes mm. and the guy's like well put that away put away the tiny bottle of milk you can't you can't take that out in a in a very cheesy 80s cocktail bar so Roy does eventually find Dr. Savory what I liked about this part was the intercom uh, for Dr. Savory's house was coming up on his com- on his home computer which looked like a Spectrum or Amstrad or something of of the day <laughs> From ringing the bell outside, your likeness appeared on a computer inside, which had ridiculous 80s kind of graphics on the screen. And he was able to press some some buttons on his computer and scan Roy, which ended up showing um, significant metal Metal detected. detected. Yeah. And a sort of a predator-style heat map showing that he had some sort of gun in his in his in his breast pocket. Couldn't tell you what type of metal, just that it was significant. Well, yeah, significant metal detected is is quite a good review, I think. Yeah. But um, he was also able to scan his ID. He ran several scans of his face to see if he was recognised. Not known to him as a known criminal, so I guess Roy obviously had been straight for quite a while. I sort of thought this was exactly the same house. 
as the brothel. So I don't know whether it was meant to be the same house or they just they were just filming in the same house and were trying to pass it off as the yeah, same house. Not sure. He came in and he said, I'm looking for a girl. And the guy said, Savory said, I'm a doctor, not a pimp. Yeah. <laughs> Not a pimp, clearly yeah. not a pimp, which I think Roy knew anyway, but um, yeah, he did have the little milk bottle with him, and he's like, what, what is this? What's in this then? And I think the doorbell rings, so Dr. Savory has to go, and before he goes, he says, don't touch anything, and as soon as he leaves the room, Roy pretty much touches everything <laughs> in the room that he can find, and eventually, I think we find this as a little fridge or something with lots of tiny little milk bottles, again, linking, linking everyone in the film is these little tiny bottles of, of milk, which are... We're, we're told by a character earlier is pure sort of ecstasy or blow your head off like you've never had anything like this before it's the best drug ever I suppose yeah and then we do end up I think we end up back with Nicole and all of a sudden just like that we are in the underworld and there's been no build up to this but she just wakes up underground and she's confronted by several kind of deformed uh... lumpy headed mm. people one of them calls himself shitface. <laughs> Yeah. Legitimately, um, uh, that's not our, that's not our opinion of him. He called himself shitface. Someone called someone referred to him as doo-doo, I think. And doo-doo. then he responded, smiling, going, "All my friends call me shitface." <laughs> <laughs> well, if your friends call you shitface, I don't know what, what your enemies will call. I you. think it was doo-doo or some mm, like doo-doo. silly name for. Yeah, there's, there's several characters here with... One of them's got quite good makeup and is quite lumpy, but a lot of them, if they were meant to be mutants or deformed, they, they really hadn't put much effort into the makeup because no. some of them just had, like, a scab on their chin. Yeah, <laughs> so, some of them had, like, quite deformed faces and then one or two you thought they just have the vaguest scar on their cheek or something. Yeah, it was it was very half-assed the makeup in this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether we were trying to go with like an Isle of Dr. Moreau vibe where some of them were half animal, half man. Mm. They certainly mentioned one of them was was on on the loose and it was a, a kind of a beast. And I think this is the one from earlier with the crazy granny screaming. That that yeah. was the sort of lion from Thundercats. He looked a bit like him, but no, nowhere near as good looking makeup-wise. But... Um, yeah, so so we're introduced all of a sudden to the monsters in this monster movie, which underwhelm pretty much straight away. They're just people with a couple of spots, <laughs> maybe a, a bit of a bit of overactive facial hair. Not not what I would call mutants by any stretch of the imagination. I've seen I've seen worse just on the streets of of England. You know, just <laughs> yeah. walking down the street, I've seen worse than that. So they were very unthreatening and very yeah. very unmutated. Yeah. So. Um, Bianca, the prostitute, does, does pop up again. She goes to visit Roy to try and help him. She's she's scared. I think maybe she's um, being stalked by these beast people, mutant people. They're kind of um, closing in on her. His apartment, I quite liked. He had lots of leather chairs, lots of neon lights. He had. It looked like he had a one-armed bandit by his front door, and that's where he kept his gun. He kept his revolver in the sort of trough of a fruit machine. Yeah. And that was quite weird. But yeah, very nice eighties apartment here. But while whilst Bianca is um is staying with Roy, unfortunately this this lion man, beast man, breaks in and tries to abduct her, just like he abducted Nicole. Her self defence is to throw a duvet on top of him. <laughs> It works exceptionally well. He, he he flails about for a while covered in a, a thick eighties print duvet. Mm. And all the while, Roy is sort of busted in and they have a pretty good fight scene. Roy and this beast man, someone gets grabbed by the balls. I can't remember who, but there's definitely some nut grabbing. 
I think Roy, being the hard man he is, grabs the guy by the balls and tries to sort of chuck him out the window. And then um, once Roy kills him, some other beast comes out of the ground or something. Oh, yeah. Drags him underground and then disappears. The idea that they can enter our world from any point if they want to. So, yeah, the, the the, the guy comes out of the sewers basically and retrieves the other beast man and takes him away and that's that's when Roy first realises that there's a, a world beyond our world yeah about five foot under the pavement <laughs> it's called the sewers as far as I could see it was just the sewers but that was their underworld that they you know that they refer to in the, in the title we do have a very um Another very awkward slam kind of um, cut to um, some kind of kinky interpretive dance in a strip club <laughs> where a couple of people looked like they were in Mad Max. Yeah. And the the guy presenting it just said, oh, well, I know this is a bit kinky, but this is what people are into these days. And uh, there's a cameo here, actually, the um, the bartender that's talking to Mother Skill and telling him about the, the dancers is an actor called Sean Chapman who would go on to be Uncle Frank in the Hellraiser film. So this was his first introduction, I guess, to Clive Barker. Very, very small part as a, a bartender with sunglasses on. Inside, sunglasses on. <laughs> and that was his little uh, that was his little appearance in this. Roy comes to the strip club while the interpretive dance is going on. Or oh, I think the interpretive dance is stopped by that point because Mother Skill tells the guy, you're going to have a new career when I throw you out of the exit door. <laughs> Something very clunky and rubbish like that. He's quite unintimidating, this gangster boss, I have to say. Yeah. But Roy confronts him about the um, the mutants and the drugs from Savory and obviously Roy suspects that Mother Skill knows quite a bit more than he let, than he's letting on. Mother Skill Mother Skill's response to these accusations is just very loudly saying no 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 <laughs> and that was it <laughs> I thought at one point he said I swear on my kids ISA but <laughs> I, 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 I didn't pick that up <laughs> I can't possibly be what he said but, um, and then Roy sort of threatens him with a syringe and just like hey, just, if this is meant to be your villain this gang boss he's really not very intimidating the hero straight away gets the better of him threatens him with a syringe yeah and he's he looks like a wimp really he's like if he's meant to be the, like the gang lord of London he was overthrown very easily and within, within a short space of time in yeah. that scene kind of there like oh like trying not to get injected and then Roy leaves and then we got some great cockney swearing calling him a dirty bastard and a ponce <laughs> which, is, which is great typical kind of British insult yeah Roy logs on to this computer again this is yeah. Spectrum and he finds these tapes of heroin addicts trapped to chairs that are going through various states of experimentation by by Dr. Savory one of the things I found the most interesting about the film I suppose I like learning about I found that part quite interesting where it's kind of this person uh, exposed to this drug and then um, Roy goes in and, and discovers these tapes again the makeup's not very impressive the, the guy comes into the light and he just like he's got some pudding on his face or something like <laughs> That. But that is to indicate that um, the, the the mutant people have been kind of um, exploited. These are people from the streets, heroin addicts and prostitutes that have been uh, kind of exploited and experimented on by this savory guy. And that's the kind of revelation that you get here um, towards the end. But this all this all kind of leads to Roy discovering the 
quote unquote underworld um, underneath the house of Dr. Savary so it's all these mutants here Nicole feels like she's one of them because it's not really touched upon too much but this is not just any high class hooker she has superpowers in which she can make your dreams a reality and not just in a, a sexy a sexy prostitute way <laughs> it's it's said several times as though it's a literal whatever you dream I can make happen yeah and this isn't really followed up on no I don't really know what they were on about but that's why she feels that she's a mutant as well because she has the special ability to make people's dreams come true although it doesn't really happen the only time we ever see this sort of happen is when Dr. Savory confronts her and she says oh I can make dreams come true and I'm going to make your dreams come true and he's like oh no don't do that and we're thinking oh maybe he's really a perv like maybe he's got some really pervy um, fantasies in that and then she looks at him with these glowing eyes and then he rips his own face off (laughs) and spontaneously combusts yeah so if that was his dream then that's then that's what's happened his face just starts melting his face peeled off and he spontaneously combusts so is that what he maybe it meant not necessarily your fantasies and your dreams maybe your worst nightmares and stuff like that but it was very lightly touched upon to the point where who knows they didn't really they didn't give this any effort so why why should we (laughs) take what um, you want from that scene yeah (laughs) yeah so that was the end of Dr. Savory and maybe some sort of poetic justice it's hard to say they were certainly intended and then the gangsters end up storming the um, the freak compound Guns, bombs, fire, the works. Um, it's a big shootout inside yeah. the building and outside the building. They're kind of <clears throat> one group on one side, one on the yeah. other kind of thing. It's a kind of a crime, what you would expect in a crime film, some sort of shootout. Yeah. There are people, um, I'm sure there's a Wilhelm scream here. One of the mutants kind of falls out of a window and I'm sure we get a little Wilhelm scream, uh, which would be amazing. Um, all the while, Roy is escaped from the underground and is now outside again and is attacking the gangsters outside so that he can get back inside. His ge- The geography of where Roy was at this time was, was very confusing. There seems to be quite unspecific boundary between the underworld and the real world. Like It seems to be quite easy to jump between the I two. think you could just open a hatch in the floor and then you're in <laughs> yeah. or you're out <laughs> I mean if this is meant to be a proper underworld it's, it's very easily accessible yeah like I say I think it was just the sewer system of <laughs> yeah. London someone was um, just in the basement or... yeah <laughs> it was it was very lazy um, set wise they didn't have much money I'm sure there was a good bit where Roy in some sort of terrible stealth mode um, sneaks up on a guy with a flaming bit of wood in his hand and sets fire to the back of his knee. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Before then smacking him over the head or something. (laughs) Yeah. I I think he was just trying to, like, make the guy look around or look down before then launching at his head. I don't think he does stealth very well. No. That was quite funny. Um, Made me laugh. And, yeah, we sort of... So, basically, there's, there's a confrontation between the gangsters versus mutants, which would probably have been a better name for this film yeah then Nicole decides that she's she would like to to go off possibly I think she goes off with shitface if I remember rightly <laughs> ironically I he didn't really stick in my mind visually even though he was called shitface <laughs> um, she decides to wander off with him and then we get uh, probably one of my favourite bits of the film again where, where Roy comes out with his hatch in the ground and does a, a slow motion walk away from a sunset with 80s music blaring yeah. and then we get a freeze frame yeah. at the end and there you go that was that was uh, Underworld uh, Clive Barker's first job as a screenwriter based on one of his short stories but 
he wasn't that impressed with the end result. Uh, what did you think overall, Mark, about Underworld? Um, I thought it had some interesting themes, interesting ideas. Mm. I quite like the whole crazy doctor who makes an addictive drug and does all these kind of experiments and exploits these addicts. Mm. Or it's quite interesting kind of sort of ideas, but I found a lot of the film, there were points where it just dragged and things weren't explained very well. There were parts yeah. where things were just left quite unexplained and that made it drag more because you thought, oh, I thought I was going somewhere and then they didn't really, <laughs> uh, they didn't really wrap it up or yeah. tell you exact explicitly what happened. Um, so there's points where I thought, oh, this is bordering on being quite gripping, and then <laughs> and then just You're sort being of, very kind, and, and then just sort of failing completely. Uh, um, I think yeah, a lot a lot of it didn't go anywhere. Like you say, there were many plot points that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, this was mostly just a crime East End London crime film that happened to have some monsters in it because it was written by Clive Barker and there was mm. some horror elements to it but I think a bit of a wasted opportunity with the um, the characters the mutant underground characters I wanted to know a lot more about them mm. not I mean we found out where they came from but what do they do now yeah they just live underground and what well, what are they doing down there what's their goal what's, what do they want what to do what are their motives yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing and it, this was an idea really that would be done to much more effect by Clive Barker when his his cult 90s film called Nightbreed um, came out and that was very much the idea of a, of a world underneath our world yeah. where all these different mutants and superheroes kind of live so really this was a kind of a, a rough a rough go of that um, you know a rough draft of what would become Nightbreed and yeah. the, the Nightbreed Chronicles which is a much better film than this film like you say this dragged like hell it didn't really <laughs> go anywhere had some more actors in it I suppose had a lot of overacting and yeah there was just not much point to the film did but, make me laugh though it made me laugh a few times. Yeah. It was soaked in eighties. That yeah. was quite fun. Some good um, lines, and yeah, there was yeah, there was some quite good lines, some quite good Cockney gangster um, dialogue, if you like that sort of thing. But other than the character of Rory rescuing the character of Nicole, I didn't know what the point of anything else was. No, everything else was diversion, just to make a ninety-minute film. I'm assuming it's ninety minutes. It felt longer, but it did feel longer. The, yeah. the, the plot points were blurry. And, yeah, it was just drawn out and sometimes just a bit boring in places because I couldn't follow it. But it did make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, so that is um, Underworld. Like I said, the first film that, uh, that Clive Barker ever wrote. Uh, you can go check that out if you wish. Wouldn't really recommend that you do that. But, <laughs> but we've done it for you, so yeah. not to worry. Uh, the next film that we're going to talk about now, then, is the 1986 film called Rawhead Rex. Uh, essentially about a nine-foot phallus on the loose. Not my word. <laughs> <laughs> but the words of Clive Barker, who once again wrote the screenplay for this film uh, based on his own short story. And once again, he was not very happy with the outcome and would lead very directly to him demanding to direct the next film he would make, which was Hellraiser. But Rawhead Rex was certainly uh, another learning uh, another learning process for, for Clive Barker. And it is, it is based on the short story of the same name. Straight away, I want to give a shout out to uh, Bristol Bad Film Club. Uh, we went to watch this being shown in a, a crypt in Bristol here, where we are. And, uh, and it was it was awesome in that setting. So if you uh, if you live anywhere near Bristol and you want to find, uh, you want to come watch a bad film or just uh, find a good source for bad films, check out the Bristol Bad 
Bad Film Club. And if you live in a city that's not as good as Bristol, you can still watch it. Uh, I think Arrow Video have just released it on Blu-ray, so you can you can obtain it that way and uh, and have a laugh at it as well. Mark, what were your first impressions of this uh, this wonderful film? Well, I wasn't expecting an Irish countryside setting, to be honest. You know who else wasn't expecting it to be set in Ireland? Clive Barker. No. Because he wrote the story set in England in the height of summer. Ah. This was set in Ireland yeah. in the dead of winter, so you weren't the only one surprised by the setting okay, here. Okay, good. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought my opinions may have sounded stupid. Um, but yeah, this is weirdly set in the Irish countryside. I mean, of, I guess Clive Barker is of Irish descent. He's, a, he's actually a scouser. This, again, was directed by George Pavlou, who directed Underworld that we just talked about. Part of a sort of a two a two-film deal, really, that Clive Barker did, and then immediately regretted selling the rights to these both of these stories here to be made into films yeah it is it is set in the Irish countryside and it is based around uh, an American uh, writer that visits Ireland to do a, a write a book about sacred pagan sites all across Ireland and holy sites from a, a bygone uh, very bygone era yeah he said he's looking for Neolithic sites Ah, yes, very old then, yeah. yeah. He brings his family along with him, which is a, kind of a, a very cliched nagging wife and bratty kids yeah. um, who are quite amusing. We do get straight into it, as you say, with some Irish farmers find a monolith, a monolithic kind of um, penis again. Yeah. The story was meant just all about penises, so it comes up in the film a lot. Phallic symbols everywhere. Oh, phallus is up to your eyeballs in this film. <laughs> but <laughs> this this giant stone penis is there, like Stonehenge, but stone penis. And, um, I mean... <laughs> I, d- I don't I don't want to generalise but Irish accents are pretty funny and especially yeah. in this film yeah I, I can say that I'm, I'm from Irish uh, I, uh, stock as well I enjoyed the accents straight away you get a guy saying I gotta get home for me tea or something like that <laughs> you know just straight away some, some real funny um, funny uh, Irish accents in the countryside there and um, they leave this guy out in the countryside with this giant stone penis and unfortunately uh, immediately it, a thunderstorm starts up and uh, lightning strikes a giant stone cock and um, Rawhead wrecks pretty early in the, onto the film. He just kind of shoots up from the ground like he's been fired out of a, a cannon at the centre of the earth. He just he just shoots out of the ground and you get your very first look at the character. Mm. W- what did you think of the look of this character? Was this something you were expecting as well or surprised um, by? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Kind of like a superhuman, slightly... <laughs> taller with this kind of yeah there's a massive looking thing isn't it a massive looking monster this kind of massive wolf like jaw yeah um, massive teeth obviously yeah become a feature I think they had they had good intentions with the design of the character I think maybe didn't come out quite as well as it it should have the lightning by the way looked shit (laughs) (laughs) I just want to make that point (laughs) oh I I think I think all the effects in this film are shit but we'll we'll get to that whilst uh, Rex is being um, being ejected from the earth's core we're introduced to our priest priest assistant they call him something Declan this guy Declan and he's standing there but various points in the film we just get shots of him from above where he's looking up um, near the camera just screaming or yeah. <laughs> just throwing his arms up in the air being very um, being very religious maybe mm. the altar he puts his hand on it and it burns his hand so straight away we yeah. know something weird has happened and then straight away you see the um, 
the window in the church, which has the the likeness of, of Rawhead Rex on it, mm. straight away that looked better than yeah, the creature yeah. effects <laughs> that we just saw. Um, the crude stained glass window looked way better, and we so we, that's our first clue that obviously this this character has been known about in religious circles. You know, yeah. Prior prior to being being born again here uh, in this lightning storm, we do then get uh, obviously Rex, as you would imagine, starts going on a rampage of the Irish Irish countryside, and um, he goes to hide in somebody's um, barn, as as you would probably expect as well. And then when he's discovered in the barn by this character called Dennis, he um, he mauls him, and again we get a great close up of the the head of this creature. Yeah. Which just looks awful. <laughs> Glowing red eyes. So you can sort of see the LEDs. The the jaws, like you say, quite impressive, but they're, they're animatronics. It's an animatronic head in close-ups. And yeah. I think of a, crew, a much cruder rubber head in faraway shots. But yeah. the close-up animatronic head, still not really good enough to be in a close-up. Yeah. <laughs> it's gnashing and, and um, zany sort of uh, red eyes. Brilliantly terrible. Yeah, it's what we want to see. Yeah. It's what our listeners want to see, I'm yeah. sure. But um, it's bloody awful. What what most amused me about this this part was after he mauls Dennis, he, he comes breaks into the house where Dennis's pregnant wife is there cooking, making a good old Irish stew. And she locks herself in another room, so Rex just smashes the shit out of the kitchen. Yeah. And that sounds like he's just like throwing over the table. No, he was he was specifically targeting foods. <laughs> he he sort of um, kicks over some eggs. He he smashes the counter and loads of spaghetti uh, spaghetti uh, sticks fall onto the floor. So I don't know whether Rawhead Rex had something against the food in this kitchen. <laughs> I, Dennis and his wife aren't going to be having any um, spaghetti carbonara for, for a while by the looks of it because uh, Rex just wreaked havoc on this kitchen and it was just a close-up of the spaghetti strands slowly sliding out of the pack and falling onto the floor. <laughs> Where are your priorities here? Why Nobody cares about spaghetti. <laughs> Dried spaghetti, Me- you know, cooked spaghetti, maybe. Meanwhile, uh, the wife sort of goes a bit mad, obviously, screaming. Yeah. Losing it, because her husband's just died, obviously. And she's pregnant and vulnerable. Yeah. But we discover that Raw Hedrex isn't interested in pregnant women. He doesn't want to kill them. Mm. He spares her. Yeah. And she just goes mad instead. So there's the idea that uh, something to do with fertility. I think the American writer does um, does go to visit the uh, the priest and ask about um, some of the pre-Christian um, sites in the area. And there is some mention about um, paganism and ancient um, fertility cults and stuff like that. So you start to see the the connection, however clumsy it might be, yeah. um, between Rawhead Rex and the kind of ancient pagan beliefs in, in I guess in that part of the world. From there, the detectives get involved. Yeah, we we get our introduction to the detectives, and, and one detective in particular has definitely gone for quite a noir uh, look. He turns up in the rain with like a fedora on, smoking a cigar. Yeah, I didn't come remember whether he was Irish or not, but he certainly he certainly wasn't cool enough to be dressed like that no. uh, and, and, and looking like that. But he was the detective inspector for the local area and uh, we yeah so we get the police involvement into this and they start looking into this monster that's, that's started to kill people there apparently there'd never been a murder in that town no that was the that was the idea <laughs> so people don't know what to think there's no. never been a murder ever in this town in Ireland you will also notice in this film some really awkward sex scenes and kissing scenes quite yeah. a lot we cut to the American writer and his wife just walking down the street and they're making 
innuendos all the way. And then you just start, like, necking on the street. And really over the top. Really yeah. over the top porno <laughs> necking in yeah. the street. And then an old woman just comes into shot on the bottom right-hand corner. <laughs> and you can't figure out whether she's meant to be in this shot or she's just a someone who was around when they were filming. But she just stands there until they stop necking and then, <laughs> then she can walk through them. But it was so weird. And she looks back at them as well with this really evil look. Yeah. Goes back at them afterwards. So I'm assuming... And you think... She was meant to be Why in the does film? she hate them that much? <laughs> I'm not convinced she was meant to be in the film, but um, she was in it anyway. She looked a bit like the... Um, the character from Don't Look Now with the, uh, the, oh, red, the red coat yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought maybe this was the beginning of an indication that the people in the town are sort of in on this cult mm. like you said the weird look I was like ooh yeah. she gave them a weird look because they were kissing in the street does that mean she's maybe part of some sort of like hot fuzz type little yeah. village cult you know and they all feel the same way about these kind of yeah. people yeah and then we immediately cut from this to uh Caravan Park, which actually a lot of the film is set in this caravan park. Yeah. You get more people necking. There's a young guy and a young girl necking on the sofa with a small child sitting on the opposite <laughs> sofa. He's he's just messing about playing with his toys and I think it must be his older brother saying, you know, can you cut it out? I'm trying to have sex with this woman here. What you what you do? Do you mind do you mind keeping it down? And it's just it's very um very weird uh, angle that they're going for there. Uh, little Neil, he's called. The, the 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 younger brother is called Little Neil. Later on they um that couple go into the woods. Yeah. And then Rex comes along. Yeah. Start running away. Yeah, they they go into the woods. Well, he takes his girlfriend into the woods so that he can have sex with her. Mm. She changes their mind once they get to the woods. He doesn't seem to care. <laughs> Just getting rapey in the woods. Um, oh, come on, come on, you know. And she's like, no, I don't think so. He doesn't care. Um, so luckily at this point, Rex turns up and starts chasing them through. A really funny scene, which just the, the crowd went wild in our, in our screening. But <laughs> she runs away while holding the hand of her boyfriend. Doesn't realise. <laughs> Doesn't realise. The thing is, you don't realise either because you no. can't see his body, and no. then it sort of zooms out slightly. <laughs> you just see that the hand is just disembodied. I mean, if this was a comedy film, you would say that was masterful. Yeah. It's not a comedy film. No. It's meant to be scary. And she just starts and she, screaming. She just gets back to the trailer park with her boyfriend's hand, and only his hand. The rest of him is being eaten in the woods by Rex. And it was just amazing. Yeah. Like, the fact they ever thought that that could be scary. That's, <laughs> that's got to be funny. That's got to be slapstick. Yeah. And just people wet themselves in the screening that I was in. It was amazing. Rex is spotted shortly after this by the American writer he's gone out for some air I think his wife wanted sex again that was what it was he, so he went out for some air yeah his wife's gone sex mad so he goes out for some air which I think is code for a fag he looks up at the hillside and Rex is standing there with the severed head of this this guy the guy that just had a hand off mm. and just into the night and um, that's when the first time that the writer starts to become aware of Rawhead Rex yeah. and he should know more about this monster because he studied pagan and Neolithic monsters and cults in the area so that's when that's when the trail really really hots up he tells the police that he saw a mon monster and it was not human and the well not the police the detectives they don't believe him and yeah. he's getting 
stressed out about it. And then he tries to go to um, the priest Declan at the church with his Polaroid camera taking some pictures of the stained glass window. Yeah. And <laughs> the priest knocks the camera to the floor and just stamps on it. Yeah, he's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and just overreacts massively. Yeah. Get the fuck out of this church. <laughs> he's like, what? What's wrong with you? And then that's when we start to realise that Declan has kind of been possessed and, and corrupted by, by Rex as well. Um, so the the writer does decide to get the fuck out of town, and um, this was a great scene. They 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 leave town in their car. On the way out of town, his little daughter says she needs the toilet, so they park it by the side of the road, and they basically just say, "Go on then." There's a field there. <laughs> and you're just thinking uh, there are mur- there's murders <laughs> yeah. happening. There's a monster on the loose. There are people being murdered. You know this, and they're just her, her mum doesn't care. She's like, oh, go in that field. And then the dad's like, oh, all right, I'll I guess I'll take her. So he takes her in this field and and, and leaves the son behind on his own. <laughs> leaves the son behind. The mum comes out of the, so basically all of the family are out in this field because the daughter goes behind a bush to have a, a piss. And obviously you're meant to think that Rex is going to be behind the bush. But then there's actually some sort of dead rabbit. Yeah. So the dad and the mum and the girl are all behind this bush. (laughs) A really funny sequence where the dad... You get this this really far away shot of the bush with the dad's head. And he's looking back at the car. And his son's in the car reading a comic. No problem. Then he bends down (laughs) to look look at the rabbit again. Stands back up. He's in the car reading a comic, no problem. <laughs> Again, they do repeat this two or three times, and then all of a sudden he looks up and Rex is just reaching into the car, yeah. grabbing his son, and um, he... I felt sorry for this actor. He has to run to this gate and pretend that he can't open it and he can't fit through this gate that he just went through yeah. <laughs> while his son is being eaten by Rawhead Rex. And as soon as Rex runs off, he opens the gate no problem. And this act, poor sod, this actor, had to pretend that he couldn't open this gate until until it was too late. Yeah. Nothing about that scene made sense at all. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was just very surprised that this is the child of the protagonist has been eaten. Yeah. And you think, oh, maybe he'll be taken away and he'll come back. No. He's been eaten. That's it. Yeah. It's over. And you think, Jesus, that's quite a bold decision to kill a child. Sort of halfway through the film. Yeah. It's quite unbelievable. But this, of course, gives the writer the motive to stay and to sort this out and to look into this further. Yeah, right. Go take a stand. Now. He starts to fly off the handle at the police. You know, yeah. my son's just been eaten. What are you doing about it? And they're like, oh, I'm very sorry about that. It's also at um, it's at this point that he visits the um, the police inspector and he's trying to describe Roy Hedrex to him. Mm-hmm. And then another policeman comes in and goes, well, we've just received a sketch <laughs> From, from, from little Neil yeah. from the trailer park, uh, who's now in some sort of mental hospital because he's traumatized, and they show this sketch of Rawhead Rex to the policeman. And I honestly thought this was maybe some early concept art for the character because it looks so shit, <laughs> but then so does the monster. So yeah. you can't say that it, you can't say it's wrong. And then later on, the, the the American writer also does a sketch of it, and it's even worse. <laughs> 
than the small child <laughs> who's got PTSD and is in hospital. So I just found it funny how he's shouting at them, trying to convince them that there's a monster out there and they don't believe him. Yeah. But as soon as they show him this terrible drawing, yeah. they're like, oh, wait, now we definitely believe like, it. Well, this looks pretty... kid drew it. <laughs> <laughs> they see an awful sketch by a mentally disturbed child and they, they that's when they start to get worried that, oh, there's something seriously wrong here. Mm. Uh, it's just It's just weird. But all, all the while, the, the writer is, keeps going back to the church to try and figure out, because he knows it's something to do with the church, something to do with religion, pre-Christian religious kind of myths and legends. And uh, he ends up working out that the stained glass window is kind of uh, got a piece missing. Yeah. And it's in one of the other windows, and they, they need to basically put them back together again to figure out how to defeat Rex. And then he also figures out that the, the thing needed to kill Rex is in the altar, which everyone keeps burning their hands on. Yeah. Everyone keeps trying to open it, and it just glows bright red, which is a shit. Again, terrible effect. A really shit effect. Yeah. <laughs> it burns their hand, and they just swear. That's that's usually what happens. So this this all culminates, basically, in, in Rex making his final assault on the church. This leads to... Uh, easily the most remarkable scene in the film. So unbelievable and so shocking that none of the people in the screening we were at even really noticed what was happening. Mm. Declan the priest kneels in front of Rawhead Rex and Rex starts to piss all over him. (laughs) It sounds like we're making this up. It happened. (laughs) And I think everyone in the screening was just really confused. You'd think that would get a big laugh at the screening, but people were just... What is he doing? Is he is he pissing? <laughs> is he pissing on a priest? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've seen that in any other film. If Rawhead Rex has any claim, it's that there was a film where a monster pissed on a priest. And yeah. I guess the idea was he would be baptised in a very sacrilegious way. Yeah. <clears throat> but I don't know what you thought of... Uh, what did you think of the Rex pissing on the priest? I was just... Confused, like you said, <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it. It was more unbelievable than than funny. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. It should have been the funniest bit in the film, but it was yeah. just weird. Yeah, and I just didn't quite understand what that meant. No. But yeah, all of the all of the Irish SWAT teams descend on this church, and things really escalate at this point. Most of the people there are on fire. I don't know why but they are an American writer finds the um, it's a statue of a woman Mm. this is the relic that can defeat Rawhead Rex because it's a fertility thing and he tries to make it work but he can't and he realises that's because it needs to be a woman that holds it and activates it so Mm. this is for a very confusing and terrible film, a very feminist film, yeah, because it states that the, the 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 monster can only be defeated by a woman, and that a woman will save the world according to this weird pagan um, religion here. So it's only when his wife gets her hands on this little statue of a woman that she activates what what I can only describe as a womb laser, <laughs> because. The statue does have a womb, does have an opening, and out of it comes this blue laser. Terrible video sort of drawn-on effects. Mm. This womb laser is... It's just its just targeting Rex. its He's going mental. It's draining all of the life from him. And then, uh, yeah, it ends up completely draining him of all his, his essence. And we see just this sort of charred husk left. And you know what? I actually thought that looked better. 
than the creature effects for the rest (laughs) of the film. So most of this film was me just looking at things that weren't the the creature design and thinking that would even even that would have been better. Yeah, that's why this is such a funny film and such a bad film. Is it the failure or success? But certainly the failure at the time of this film were the creature effects. Yeah, Um, I mean there was some hammy acting, very over the top acting particularly from Declan the priest just one minute he'll be fine and the next minute he'll be calling people fuckface yeah. and knobhead he calls someone a knobhead or a dickhead you don't hear that very often in films <laughs> and then what happens right at the end Rex wakes from the grave oh of course <laughs> no, no 80s horror film would be complete if the monster didn't come back at the very very end of the film but yeah so I started Googling Rawhead Rex 2. Oh, yeah? Uh, how did you get on with that? Nothing. <laughs> uh, you know, funnily enough, I, I read um, an interview with Clive Barker around the time. He was actually interviewed after they'd made the film, but before it came out. And he said, quote, I don't believe urinating on Vickers will stay. <laughs> <laughs> how wrong he was. <laughs> It's just madness that that, that, that scene ever happened. I, he was probably taking the piss. Just thought, I'll write something ludicrously blasphemous and, yeah. and, and ridiculous. And it, and it stayed in. And um, immediately disowned this film after it came out. The creature effects, like I say, were, were the main culprit in, in what makes this film bad or mm. good. Yeah, what were your overall impressions of Rawhead Rex? Yeah, I found it very entertaining. Yeah, this is the better bad movie, um, for sure. Even though Clive Barker disowned both of these. At least Rawhead Rex was, was so bad that it was good and it was funny. Yeah. And, 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 and original, I would say. You know, not many horror films are set in Ireland. Not many horror films have a pagan prehistoric demon. Mm. Shitty effects aside, it is kind of a, a unique idea. And... Um, yeah, without without Rawhead Rex, we wouldn't have got Hellraiser the following year. Mm-hmm. Clive Barker said, um, I've got a story here that I want to adapt, and there's no way I'm letting um, George Pavlou at it again. <laughs> <laughs> so he directed it himself, and, and the rest is history there. So, yeah. yeah. I found it interesting that throughout the film, they kind of referred to Rex's motives. So towards, not towards the beginning, but sort of, not too far in, the detective suspects it's a revenge killing. And you kind of think, what would it be revenge for? Revenge for what? Yeah. Building civilization. <laughs> yeah. Later on, they go on to talk about how they thought they'd um, disrupted his land or something, his, his kind of territory. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and then towards the end, you realise that, or quotes from the crazy guy he's like he wants to baptize you he is god he was king here <laughs> yeah um, that's a cool idea so it kind of gives you this more and more kind of background to him i suppose yeah. it doesn't really place him there for any reason but it's I, kind of peppered throughout the film that these i think of, they were going for a real com well they were trying for a real kind of commentary about religion i'm sure i haven't read the short story but i'm sure that that is a point much better made in in the story yeah than comes across in such a ridiculous film they did yeah. have a point to make about religion or you know the fact that rex was here before before you and before christ and before all of you he was the king and yeah you know um, legends you know the devil had to be based on someone they say at one point don't they you know mm. um, and that was that would have been Rex you know yeah. that, I like the idea of, of of Christian ideas being based on things much older than them and that was a, that was what they were trying to get across but with a monster that looks like this it's, it's just not, never going to be taken seriously <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Rawhead Rex. Much, much worse and much better film than, than Underworld. It's um, what it does bad. It does much better. Yeah, um, it was more entertaining. It's uh, very, yeah. it's very good fun. Yeah. Very original, and yeah, I would recommend that for uh, everyone to check out. Rawhead Rex. Um, if you liked either of these films, obviously there's a lot of Clive Barker stuff to um, to get into. Hellraiser, we mentioned a few times there. Candyman, uh, Nightbreed, very similar to the plot of Underworld, but much better film. And uh, a film from the mid-90s called Lord of Illusions, which is uh, very good as well. But I, have, I must warn you, all those films are, are good films, <laughs> not bad films. So you've been warned, you may enjoy them. Genuinely, <laughs> um, that's uh, that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics. Um, if you want to subscribe, that would be great, and leave us a review on iTunes. We would also uh, appreciate that. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter uh, at Schlock Tactics. Uh, please get in touch with us. Let us know if you have seen either of these films, what you think of them. If you have any questions for us, if you want to suggest any other films for us to review, we'd be happy to do that. But that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics. Um, I've been Ash and I've been joined by Mark yeah guys thanks for listening guys Uh, been good and uh, we'll catch you next time Bye. bye